Good evening. How's everybody? Well, welcome. Highland Baptist Church Wednesday night service. And uh, we want to uh, start off with a song because we've got a little different service tonight. And the preacher's already taking care of that And uh, right now. Let's sing and then we'll go into the bit uh, of time to talk about our prayer list and pray for those that are on our prayer list. But for now... Take out your hymnals and turn to hymn number 64. And I would just imagine, yep, he's got it on the screen. So thank you, Brother Jim. God will take care of you, hymn number 64. Miss Pat. singing that song the hymns are a very special way that we grew up listening to them singing them telling the stories of our of our past and hoping we learn from it and from 
just good words. Thank you, Ms. Pat. Let's start off here and uh, talk about our prayer list. Once again, welcome to Highland. Let's look at any, some of our HBC family. Uh, SW and Carolyn Stone. Uh, any update? Your dad and mom? That's a good deal. And I hadn't seen Charles Saunders in a few weeks. Uh, continue to pray for him and Herman Stidham. Miss Sandra Wells, and Jim that's on the road traveling, uh, Andrew Griffin, Vicki Boswell, and I haven't seen uh, or talked to uh, Todd in a while, Wanda Nichols. I did see Miss Bell this past week. She seems to be doing some better, but continue to pray for her and her Bell's palsy. Uh, Mike Warren, Bill Warren, Mike Durham, Bill Warren. Art Hargrove, continue to pray for him. He was here Sunday again, so it's good to see Art. Miss Beverly, Daniel, and I think I saw Jim Marlowe here. Didn't I see him Sunday? Did y'all see him? I think he was here. He's recovering from surgery, and Christopher was either here this week or last week, and he's doing better after his broken leg. And uh, Miss Aaron, doing doing better in her recovery from surgery. Linda in her hand surgery. Uh, Linda Hawkersmith, Rosalie Moore, and Miss Cindy Ingram. I think she, they said that last, last we heard she was at home. Looking over at the family and friends, uh, any updates on any of these that you all know about? You said Davis? I haven't. And it. Certainly. And I did not know, you know, her name has been mentioned and been on our prayer list for a while, but I didn't draw the correlation to. I knew her from work, yeah. Yep. Sweet, sweet lady. Our girls loved her too. Continue to remember for. Anna Johnson's family. Miss Pat, you're going to, have to say that louder. Who did you say that was? Fifth Monday. Oh, okay. Lavon Davis doing well. Uh huh. Birdie Davis. Oh me. Miss remember Miss Birdie Davis. Okay, continue then over on to our nursing home and assisted living. We've got Miss Mary Campbell, Peggy Eggleston, and James Johnson. Continue to remember them. Two of them are in NHC, the others at Life Care. know of any other updates. Continue to remember the people of Ukraine. Continue to remember the Texas uh, school out there with the uh, children that were taken away from their families and 
pray for them and, and the recovery time. And it's just a hard time. If there's no others. Okay. Okay. Continue to remember Miss Brenda Gilbert. She has some tests coming up. Okay. Any others? James Harvey. Is he already on here, Miss Terry? I see it. Okay, Mr. James Harvey, they've put him on hospice. Okay, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you tonight, Lord, just uh, praising you for your power, your glory, for your love, for your forgiveness. I pray, Lord, that uh, we seek you in all that we do and and in times like this, with people on our heart, with the names that have been mentioned and the different parts of the country even that have been mentioned, Lord, you know that what's going on there. and You know the needs. And we just recognize that uh, we need to lift them up. You're there already. Pray, Lord, that your watchful eye be upon those. And healing be upon those that need you in that special way. Be with those caregivers and those that are ministering support and guidance. I pray, Lord, for each of them. Lord, I pray for comfort in loss. So many times we don't understand when, how this all happened or why this all happened. But at the same time, we know that you've got it in control. And Lord, as we watch your will unfold we pray that you help us recognize that you have it pray lord that you be with each of us that in in our church here that we reflect you in such a way that others would like to be a part of it lord and and that when they look at us they see you lord even when we're covered up or stressed or squeezed you come out let others see that Lord may we please you in our actions or words and deeds and may you smile when you hear us praise you and lift songs in praise Lord we pray for brother Jim and, and his family thank you for them and their leadership in the church and, and Lord all the teachers and all the other support crews that just keep every day doing their doing their work and seeking you in what they do. Lord, we love you and ask that you be with the, the, the sermon tonight and the lesson that be brought before us by Brother Jim. And I pray, Lord, that you just touch our hearts and we, we are here open hearts and open minds and receptive hearts and receptive minds to learn what is being taught us. 
Thank you, Lord, for your love, for your son, most of all. Forgive us where we fall short, Lord, and just thank you again for, for our church. Thank you for the abilities and the opportunities to meet like we do and the freedoms that we have. Lord, we love you. We talk again in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good evening. Uh, thank you, Pat. Thank you, Mike, uh, for the songs, uh, the song there. Um, as you know, I'm not here tonight, just coming to you via video, film this on Sunday night for you all tonight. Uh, so be sure to do the things uh, but the Mike told you there earlier, hopefully, to, to go to our church website, download the church bulletin there. Uh, there's a lot of information that you can get there. Uh, let me just encourage you, too, as we're going through tonight, we are going to be moving away from Revelation for tonight, but still about Revelation. In Revelation, uh, we have been looking at this chart uh, that we put together from David Jeremiah's ministry. Uh, you can go to his website to turningpoint.org, uh, I believe it is, uh, and you can download or you can order a full color version of this, uh, but we have the printed versions of this uh, over here to my right, to your left, if you want one of those in person. If you're online and you're watching and you want one of these, uh, please um, uh, message us there in Facebook and let us know. Send us an email and let us know uh, or give us a call at the church office at 931-455-0645. We'll be glad to send you one of those as well as the numbers cards that we have that tell you what the numbers in the in the Bible mean because this not only goes for the book of Revelation, this also goes for all the rest of the Bible uh, and we're going to see some of that tonight in the book of Daniel that we're going to be in. So in essence, we have gone through the letters to the seven churches, which was the first section here, which then led us to the time of the great tribulation. And so we have gone through the seven seals. We have gone through the fifth and sixth, sixth trumpets. Uh, we're eventually going to get to the seventh trumpet. That's still going to be a little ways away. Uh, and then the seven bowls. So all of that time has to do with the great tribulation. And so I thought it, since uh, I want to keep the revelation time when I'm here in person, uh, so if you have any questions, I can answer those. Uh, we, I wanted to give you kind of the Old Testament background, if you will, for uh, the tribulation. Uh, and so I've entitled my message tonight, 70 Weeks of Daniel, the Prophetic Calendar. And so, you know, some things are, are hard to understand. Uh, some may say this prophecy of the 70 weeks of Daniel is just a strange story, and it's also impossible to understand and read uh, as the handwriting on the wall is. Uh, but this prophecy wasn't written to confuse us, but really for us to understand uh, the end from the beginning of God's plan for his people, the Jews. Now, uh, the, the people hadn't obeyed what the prophets had commanded. Uh, so Israel was exiled in Babylon. And they there, while they were in Babylon, they learned to take the prophetic word very seriously because the prophets had been telling them all along, this was coming. If you don't listen, this is coming. You better turn back. You better turn back. And that's the message we're preaching today uh, through the book of Revelation. It's coming. Whoa, 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 as we've been seeing with the trumpets. And so these people hadn't obeyed, and they learned they ought to take it seriously because it was the only hope they had. Well, the church today needs to heed the word of prophecy because in the light of, a, of, a, of certainly in a world of darkness uh, and uncertainty, uh, this prophecy is a light in that darkness. And so notice the three stages... I 
want you to see in Daniel's experiences with the prophetic message that spoke uh, concerning his people uh, and the city of Jerusalem. And so as you're looking at this, we, uh, we're going to look at chapter 9 and just briefly go through uh, some of these verses, but uh, I want to get you to where we are in the 70 weeks. So this whole first section uh, of the book of Daniel uh, is giving us some insight, uh, learning God's plan. So notice verse 1 and verse 2 of Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter 9, verse 1 and verse 2. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent a Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. So here's what I want you to understand, give you the quick background for this. The, the first year of Darius was 539 BC. It was the year that Babylon fell to the Medes and the Persians. The great victory uh, there was no surprise to Daniel because God had already told him that the Medo-Persian uh, empire would conquer Babylon. In Nebuchadnezzar, uh, in his great image dream, uh, the head of gold would be replaced by the chest uh, and arms of silver. And late, the later visions revealed that the bear would conquer the lion. But long before Daniel's day, both Isaiah and Jeremiah had predicted the fall of Babylon. So it's no surprise that Daniel started studying afresh the scroll of the prophet Jeremiah. Uh, that was God's plan for his people. God's plan for his people, God revealed to Jeremiah that the people of Israel would be taken to Babylon. They would be exiled from their land for 70 years. You can read that in Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 11 and verse 12. It says this, This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. Then you can also read in Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 10, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. So God had commanded in the Old Testament that uh, the people were to give the land a Sabbath rest every seven years. And then the 50th year would be a, a year of jubilee every 50 years, Leviticus 25. They were also supposed to give the land a, a year of rest. And so the 49th and the 50th years would be sabbatical years when the people weren't allowed to sow seed or cultivate their orchards. So every seven years, seven the sevens there being to 49, so the 49th year and the 50th year would both be sabbatical years. And, and so they weren't to sow any seeds, they weren't to cultivate their orchards, uh, they, they had to trust God to make the food grow to meet their daily needs. However, 
It wasn't until the nation's captivity in Babylon that the land enjoyed finally its Sabbath rest. And so we need to be aware of several important facts. First, in sending his people into captivity, the Lord was keeping his covenant promise because he had warned them that they would be punished if they persisted in disobeying him. He said that way back in the, in the first five books of the Bible in Leviticus 26. Secondly, second, the captivity brought blessing to the land because if you remember, the farmers had, had, had abused the land. They wouldn't let the land enjoy its Sabbath uh, rest. And so God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make sure it gets its rest. And then thirdly, when Daniel made this discovery from the book of Jeremiah, so he's doing his daily Bible reading, if you will, his devotion in the book of Jeremiah. He's studying Jeremiah. And when he makes this discovery about the 70 years, the period of captivity was about to end. Daniel is probably about 81 years old or so at this time. He himself wasn't going to be able to return to the land, but he rejoiced that others would return. And so then when you read the next part of the verses, you read from verse 3 down through verse 19, you see that this part is about Daniel praying for God's mercy. You know, Daniel is a wonderful example of balance in spiritual life because he devoted himself to the Word of God and to prayer. You know, sometimes when we're studying the end times, we're studying prophetic passages, we get so wrapped up in prophetic studies that we have little concern for living out God's will. So when Daniel learned God's truth, uh, that experience humbled him and moved him to worship and to pray. And so that's what the vast majority of chapter 9 is about. It's about his prayer. Uh, and, and prayer was always a vital part of Daniel's life. He prepared himself to pray because he knew uh, that his prayer would affect the future uh, of the Jewish nation and the lives of the Jewish captives in Babylon. If you remember, he prayed from his open window when he knew it was uh, against the law to pray uh, and then was cast into the, to the den of the lions. Uh, Daniel just prayed. He prayed to God every day, morning, noon, and night. Uh, he humbled himself uh, here, though, in sackcloth and ashes when he found out about the 70 years and he fasted and, and he directs his heart and his mind to the Lord. And so uh, we see this preparation for prayer and worship that it's, an important, it's as important as prayer itself uh, because without a heart uh, that's right with God, our prayers are just empty words. You know, Daniel asked the Lord to turn away his anger from Jerusalem and the holy temple uh, in his prayers. And so he admits that the sins of Israel, including his own, even though Daniel was a godly man, we know, uh, his, the sins of Israel and even his own were the cause of this great catastrophe of being taken away into the captivity of Babylon. But he also knew that God had promised to forgive if his people would repent and confess their sins. But then, but even more, Daniel, he desired for the nation to be restored, that God would be glorified. And so God answers Daniel's prayer. And the next year, Cyrus issues a decree that permits the Jews to return to their land, to take the, to, to take the temple treasures with them, to rebuild the temple, to restore the worship. Daniel was the counselor to four kings. He was the intercessor for the people of Israel. He was a faithful witness 
to the true and living God and the author of one of the basic books of prophecy in the Old Testament. Daniel, he knew now God's immediate plan for the nation of Israel. He knew that they were supposed to be there for 70 years. He knows that that's just about up because he can calculate from when they came to when it is now. It's only about a year left. He knows God's immediate plan. But what about the distant future? Would God's people survive? Would the promised Messiah finally appear? Would the kingdom of God be established on earth? And so Daniel is about to receive the answer to those questions when we come to verse 20 through verse 27. And that's where we want to focus our time tonight that has to do with these 70 weeks. Now, if you remember from your chart here of the numbers, the number 7 is the number of perfection. The number 10 is also there with the number 5. Uh, they're basically the same as being the double of five. They are the number of fullness or completeness. And so uh, it's perfect completeness in what we see in the 70, 7 times 10, uh, being the perfect completeness of God's plan and God's will. So here's the instruction, discovering God's timetable. And this is the part that applies to where we are in the book of Revelation. So we don't know at what time of day Daniel began to pray, but he was still praying at the time of the evening burnt offering, which was about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You can read this in verse 20 uh, down through verse 23. So let's read those verses, if you will. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my plea before the Lord, my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. So that gives us a timetable of when he was finishing praying here. He made me understand, in verse 22, speaking with me, saying, Oh, Daniel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. And so while Daniel's praying, here comes Gabriel, interrupts him in his prayer, touches him, speaks to him. He had met him before, and this is the same Gabriel that speaks to Mary uh, about Jesus, the same Gabriel that speaks to Zacharias about John. And now this angel's come to explain to Daniel what God had planned for Jerusalem, for the temple, and for the Jewish people. The phrase swift flight or fly swiftly in verse 21 means that he came with urgency. And so then we come down to verse 24 and we begin to read about this 70 weeks again. So he says, it, you remember back in verse 2 he said 70 years. Now he says in verse 24, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. 
then for 62 weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat but in a troubled time so Daniel is told in those two verses that the entire city is going to be rebuilt again. They've been in the exile. The city had been destroyed when they left. Uh, you remember when you read Azra, when you read Nehemiah, that's about the rebuilding of the temple, the rebuilding of the wall uh, around the city. Uh, the entire Daniel's still there, though, and this hasn't, that hasn't happened yet. And so he's told the entire city is going to be rebuilt, including the great open court within the walls. Could you imagine the thrill that's in his heart to hear that the city of his boyhood, the, the place of his birth, uh, which had been uh, left and, and, and turned into rubble uh, by the Babylonian invasion, is going to be rebuilt. And so notice the timing is the important part. Verse 24 tells us that there are 70 weeks determined. Uh, what is a week? Well, in the Hebrew, Shavuah uh, is a week of years. Daniel is thinking of years. You go back to verse 2 and you read that. Notice Jeremiah's 70 years. The word weeks means sevens. So Gabriel was speaking about 70 periods of seven years. So here's a math lesson for tonight. Didn't know you was getting a math lesson. 70 periods of seven. 70 times seven is... 490 years. So keep in mind that these years relate specifically to Daniel's people, to the Jews, to the holy city, Jerusalem. So Gabriel explained that during those 490 years, the Lord is going to accomplish six specific purposes for the Jewish people. The first three have to do with sin. The last three have to do with righteousness. The Lord would finish the transgression, that is the transgression of the Jewish people and make an end to sin, Israel's national sin, if you will. So this was on the main, one of the main burdens of Daniel's prayer. If you remember, he had prayed for the forgiveness of the nation's sins, including his own with that. And so Israel had been a scattered, suffering nation because uh, they were a sinful nation. So how would the Lord accomplish this? Well, by atonement for atone for iniquity, making reconciliation, if you will, for iniquity. Uh, that is by offering a sacrifice that would atone for their sin. Here we come to the cross of Jesus Christ, Israel's Messiah. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for the sins of the whole world. The last three divine purposes focus on righteousness and the future kingdom uh, of the Messiah. When Jesus returns, he's going to establish his righteous kingdom, his rule in righteousness. So in that day, the Old Testament prophecies of Israel's kingdom are going to be fulfilled, and there's going to be no more need for visions or prophets. Uh, to, and, and he says, uh, one of the other things they're going to do is to anoint a most holy place. Now that refers to the sanctifying of the future temple that is described in Ezekiel 40 through 48. So these six purposes tell the answer to Daniel's prayer. Ultimately, Israel's sin will be forgiven, the city of Jerusalem will be rebuilt, and the temple and its ministry will be restored, all because of the atoning death 
of Jesus Christ on the cross. All of those wonderful accomplishments would be fulfilled during the 490 years that Gabriel goes on to explain. He divides the seven sevens, 490 years, into three significant periods. He talks about the 49 years, he talks about the 434 years, and the seven years. So look at period one, the 49 years. You see that in verse 25. And so during this period, he's saying that the Jews are going to rebuild the city of Jerusalem in troubled times. And the key here is the date of the decree. This is probably the decree of Artaxerxes in 445 that sent Nehemiah to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls, to restore the gates. To find the decree to rebuild the city that the 70 weeks begins with, you have to go to the book of Nehemiah in chapter 2, verse 1 through verse 8. And in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1, it says, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, You know, sometimes we wonder, why does the Bible give us specific dates that really don't apply to us particularly uh, here in 2022? Well, in Nehemiah 2 verse 1, it tells us here the specificness of us because this was the date Nehemiah made his request and the king issued the decree. Artaxerxes began to reign in 465 B.C. And so the 20th year of his reign would have been about 445 B.C. BC. Now remember when you're counting BC, you count backwards in, in BC years. The first day of Nisan is March the 14th, according to our calendar, uh, recognizing that our months are not just like theirs. According to Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1 through verse 8, the first 69 weeks began at a specific time. It began at 445 BC. And it ended at a certain time and event. The 69 weeks of Daniel began March the 14th, 445 B.C., when Artaxerxes' decree went forth. And so we need to remember that weeks are counted as years, and the years are not like ours exactly. Uh, That came along with the Roman calendar. Their calendar was 360 days in the year. So if you took the 483 years and you multiplied that by 360 days, you would have 173,800 days. And if you take March the 14th, 445 B.C., uh, when the decree to rebuild Jerusalem went forth, and you add to it 173,880 days, you come to April the 6th, A.D. 32. According to Sir Robert Anderson in his chronology, That was on the day that Jesus rode into the city in his triumphal entry. So Gabriel told Daniel that from the moment that the decree went forth to rebuild the city until the anointed one, the ruler or the Messiah, the prince would come, that an exact number of years would pass and God's special agent had accurate instructions There was no communication gap. So that's the first period that he talks about. Here's the second period, the 483 years. That's in verse 26. So read verse 26 with me. It says, and after the 62 weeks, an anointed one, that's the Messiah, shall be cut off and shall have nothing. 
And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with the flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And so what Gabriel is talking about here, he's affirming that 483 years are involved from the giving of the decree to the coming of the anointed one, the ruler. Seven times seven, 49. Uh, that's what you saw in verse 25. Seven times 62 equals 434 in verse 26. That's a total of 483. When you count 483 solar years from the year 445 B.C., you end up with A.D. 29, A.D. 30, somewhere in there, which brings us to the time of Christ's ministry on earth. But notice, this anointed one, the Christ, will not be permitted to rule because his people have cried out, we have no king but Caesar, John 19, 15. And Luke 19, verse 14, we do not want this man to reign over us. And so the, the angel Gabriel here tells him, tells Daniel and says, the Messiah will be cut off, the anointed one will be cut off and shall have nothing in verse 26. So what that's speaking about is, is the rejection by the Jewish nation and his crucifixion as a criminal turned over to the Roman authorities by his own people and one of his own disciples but he died for the sins of the world, including the sins uh, of his own, uh, of the Jewish nation. And so in AD 70, if you look back in history, in AD 70, the prophecy in Daniel chapter 9, verse 26, in the second part there, was fulfilled when the Roman armies destroyed Jerusalem and the temple, and the Jewish nation was scattered. The Romans are the people of the prince who is to come. Uh, they are the, that, that prince is the future antichrist that Daniel describes as the little horn and the blasphemous king. And that takes us to the third period. The third period is a period of seven years. So notice verse 27. So verse 25, we had... Uh, the the seven uh, the seven the the forty nine uh, the seven times seven uh, which was the forty nine uh, years we had in verse uh, twenty six the four hundred eighty three years and now notice verse twenty seven and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week and for half of the week now what are weeks that we're talking about here remember that keep that in perspective years so he says. He shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of, ab excuse me, of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So in this third section, in this seven weeks here, or seven years as we see, remember a week, in, a week is in seven days and a day represents years. One week equals seven years. So the pronoun he refers to the prince that shall come, uh, verse 26. And so this is the Antichrist. And that brings us to the final seven years of the prophetic calendar that Gabriel gave to Daniel. The period that we know 
as the great tribulation or the day of the Lord. Now, while the world has always known wars and desolations, the end of the age will introduce a time of terrible suffering that's going to climax in the return of Jesus Christ. And that event, the event that triggers the last seven-year period, is the signing of a covenant between the Antichrist and the Jewish nation. And so at that time, the Antichrist is a key political figure. And he has the authority, he has the ability to, to end the Middle East problem. He covenants to protect the Jews from their enemies, probably, so they can rebuild their temple, restore their sacrifices. Um, and, and the spiritually blind Jewish leaders, ignore, ignorant of their own scriptures, are going to gladly enter in to this covenant. After three and a half years, the Antichrist is going to break the covenant. He's going to seize the temple, he's going to put his own image there, and will force the world to worship him. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, Revelation 13, and Daniel 11, 31 says this, He forces, him, forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress and shall take away the regular burnt offering and they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. Remember that phrase. Because so often when we're looking at the Old Testament, we want to say, well, that just has to do with the Old Testament days. Remember that phrase, the abomination that makes desolate. Because Jesus himself uses that phrase in his day, speaking of a future event. So verse 11 goes on, Daniel chapter 12, verse 11 says, And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away, and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Jesus spoke about the abomination of desolation. There were some who said, who say this was Alexander the Great, but Jesus himself mentions this prophecy in his day that marks the midpoint of the tribulation period. And he is speaking of it not as a past event, but as a future event that's still yet to happen. And so Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, he says, So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, let the reader understand at Mark 13, 14, it also says that same thing. And so the man of sin, the son of perdition, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, uh, who will up until then will have deceived the world by playing uh, a shrewd political game, uh, will now reveal himself as a tool of Satan and a cruel world dictator. Christ will defeat him when he returns to establish his kingdom. And we'll get to that in Revelation chapter 19. But then you come to something that's of sort of a strange parenthesis, if you will. And so whether Daniel understood all that he heard isn't really revealed to us. But Gabriel's message assures him that the nation of Israel is going to be restored to their land, the city of Jerusalem and the temple are going to be rebuilt, and God is going to make a provision for the cleansing of the nation. But Gabriel did not tell Daniel what would happen between the 69th year and the 70th year or weeks. Between Daniel 9, 26 through 27, there is a strange parenthesis. So let's read 
those uh, two verses. So he says, after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing, and the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. There shall be war. Desolations are decreed, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on the wings of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So there's a little bit of a parenthesis there, if you will. There's a little bit of a gap there, if you will. Why? Because this prophecy has to do with the Jews, with the Jewish temple, with the city of Jerusalem. You can read that back in verse 24. And so this period of time between the 69th and the 70th weeks has to do with the church. It has to do with the body of Christ. Uh, which was a mystery that God had hidden in the Old Testament uh, times and didn't reveal until the time of Christ and his apostles. When Daniel was told that six things were to happen to complete the prophecy of the 70 weeks, remember Gabriel listed them. Verse 24, finish transgression, put an end to sin, atone for wickedness, bring in everlasting righteousness. Wait a second, everlasting righteousness seal up vision and prophecy and anoint the most holy place. Have those things occurred? Is there everlasting peace in Israel? Is the temple and the holy place anointed? In fact, is there a temple to anoint? Is there still sin in the world? These prophecies have not yet been fulfilled. And so Gabriel goes further to say in verse 26, and after the 62 weeks, an anointed one, or Messiah, shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. It shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. So this time that it's speaking of, uh, this time between the crucifixion and the destruction of the city is a gap. In A.D. 70, Jerusalem was destroyed almost 40 years after the death of Jesus Christ. The enti this entire civilization of the Jews ceased to exist, and that continued until recent history. The Old Testament prophets, they didn't see things like we do. We look at years coming one after another. The older we get, the faster they go. The prophets of old, Daniel and Isaiah and Jeremiah and others, they looked into the future and they saw all of the things that God was going to do through his son, through the Messiah. But his, his coming the first time and his coming the second time merged together in what they can see. The rapture is not even mentioned in the Old Testament. The familiar Christmas passage from Isaiah illustrates this kind of twofold prophecy. Uh, because look at what Isaiah uh, has to say in Isaiah 9, verse 6 and verse 7. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is, gi is given. Well, that happened when Jesus came into the world the first time. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. 
the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this, Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. So when Jesus came the first time, was the government upon his shoulder? Certainly not. It was the government that nailed him to the cross. When he comes the second time, he will be the government. He will reign on his throne. And so in that same verse in, in Isaiah there, the prophecy jumps 2,000 years or, or more. But Isaiah saw it all in one view. Another prophet uh, who had sort of a, a double entendre is what it's called, a double prophecy, was Zechariah. Uh, in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, a foal of a donkey. But when did that happen? Of course, that happened in the triumphal entry. But notice the very next verse in verse 10. It says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to shining sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Nothing like that happened when Jesus walked on this earth the first time. Once again... A prophet looks into the future. Daniel wasn't told that the rejection and the death of the Messiah would bring about a new thing, would bring about a spiritual body that would include the Jews and the Gentiles in which all the natural differences would be unimportant. Some of the prophecy in Daniel 9, 24 to 27 has already been fulfilled and the rest is going to be fulfilled in the end times. So when you read about the 70 weeks, all of that has been fulfilled except for the last week, the last seven years, which is the great tribulation of the book of Revelation. So the big question comes then. As you're studying prophecy, you're looking at the, the tribulation period. Why is this 70 weeks important to us? Well, when it comes to studying the 70 weeks in Daniel, I think there are some good reasons for why it's important. First of all, this prophecy teaches us that God has not forgotten his people, the Jews. Now imagine how Daniel felt. He had been a captive for 69 years, sitting there in that Babylonian culture, which had, taken over, had been taken over by the Persians, and he's wondering, has God forsaken us? In answer to his prayer, God says, I've not forgotten my promises. Someone has said that the king of Egypt couldn't diminish the Jews. The water of the Red Sea couldn't drown them. Balaam couldn't curse them. The fiery furnace couldn't devour them. The gallows of Haman couldn't hang them. Nations couldn't assimilate them. And dictators throughout history couldn't annihilate them. God has preserved his people because one day his plan for his chosen people, the Israelites, the Jews, is going to be fulfilled. A second reason why this 70 weeks is important is that there was a purpose of the captivity. In the 490 years before the captivity, the Jews had violated their Sabbath. 
God had told them, remember, he had told them, set aside one year out of every seven as holy for him, but they had refused. And so God said, if you won't give me the Sabbath years, then I'm going to take them from you. So for 70 years, he takes the Jews out of their land, and it was desolated. He took his Sabbath years because the Jews wouldn't give them to him willingly. And after he had those 70 years back from the Jews, he says, now I have 490 more years. I want to tell you about that, uh, that, that are yet out in the future. So during the 70 years of captivity, some positive things happened to the Jews. In the Old Testament, it seemed like every time you turn around, the Jews were falling down before some idol. But the moment their captivity ended, you don't ever see the Jewish people do that again. They're never again idolaters. While the Jews were in Babylon, something was born into their culture called synagogues. You get that? So all before this, it was the temple, uh, when it was at, uh, the tabernacle when they had it at Bethel at one point, then when it was set up at Jerusalem, then they built the temple in Jerusalem. That was the place everybody made pilgrimages to uh, every year to go and worship. But notice, out of the time of the captivity came the synagogue. It came the synagogue. And so they couldn't worship at their temple, so the rabbis decided to teach them in a type of house church, if you will. Out of the synagogue came the roots of the church of today. It was just a slight transition from the synagogues to, to the individual churches of Christianity. And so while the Jews were in captivity, another good thing that happened is the Old Testament canon of the Bible was completed. In fact, the earliest record that we have of a collection of Old Testament books is that which took place under the leadership of Ezra following the 70 years of captivity. When we open our Bibles today and you leaf through the books of the Old Testament, we know that they began with a collection of scrolls in Babylon in a time of captivity. Out of Babylon came many positive results. There are many times when we look at our own lives and we don't know what is, what is God doing with us? What in the world is going on in my life? Lord, why have you put me in this situation? Learn this, that God is at work even when you don't understand what he's doing. Another important lesson to understand from learning about these 70 weeks is, is that we can also learn that God is a personal God. On five different occasions in the life of Daniel, who was greatly loved of the Lord because of his obedience, God touched him. He touched him to make him speak. He touched him to give him skill. He touched him when he needed to stand and when he needed to be strong. Understand this, God cares about his people. And God cares about us today. That last week, seven days, or as we know from what we've seen here, seven years is the week's or the years, if you will, of the great tribulation. Half that have led up to where we are in the trumpets and the other half that will come in just a while. What a powerful passage 
to begin to put the Old Testament with the New Testament to understand God cares about you today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for loving us and for caring for us. Lord, for giving us your word that shows us direction, that gives us instruction, that lays out your plan for us and for the Jewish people. And by, by virtue of having that plan for the Jewish people, you have shown us, Lord, uh, these things, that there are things yet to come that were prophesied in the Old Testament that will come in the New Testament days in which we are living even now. And so, Father, I pray that as we continue to inch towards that great day when the seven years of tribulation begin, help us to realize, Lord, it's not a time to wait. It's a time, Lord, for us to, to be faithful uh, followers of Jesus Christ, faithfully sharing the gospel with those around us, faithfully living for Jesus Christ in the midst of a dark world that people might know Jesus loves them. God cares for them. And so, Father, I pray that's the message that we'll take from the great tribulation, that even in the worst of the worst that we are yet to see in the trumpets and then the vials that will be poured out, you love us and you care for us and you have a plan for us. Lord, I pray that we would not wait until it's too late. Lord, if there's someone who's watching or someone who's present who doesn't know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, may they call out to him and ask forgiveness. Father, if there are those who are believers who realize tonight, Lord, I, I didn't know about all the 70, uh, 70 weeks of Daniel and the 70 years that it's talking about and all this about this last week that's yet to be fulfilled, this last seven-year period of the great tribulation. So, Father, I pray that, that we would see, see and sense the urgency in our hearts and our lives to be faithfully sharing the gospel before it's too late for us to share anymore. So, Father, may your will be done. May your name be glorified and honored. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thank you so much for joining with us online. Thank you for being here in person, uh, even though I'm on video tonight. I uh, just want to remind you, Sunday we'll be back at 9.15 for Sunday school, 10.30 for worship. So come out and join us, please. Uh, we'd love to have you with us. We'll be back again uh, the following Wednesday night. We'll be back in the book of Revelation there, uh, taking what we've learned about uh, Daniel here and seeing how that applies to uh, the great tribulation there. We'll be back in the life of Jesus on Sunday morning. So you come out and join us. You have a blessed week, and we'll see you this Sunday.